0: Welcome to episode 64 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo.
1: And I'm Hillary Dockerty. Hillary, tell me stuff. Well, bitch, <laughs> you got some fucking nerve showing up at my house today. You got some nerve. Okay. First of all, this comes out on the seventeenth, so happy St. Patrick's Day, people! Uh, You don't look at the calendar and see it's March seventeenth. I, you know what? I'm not a St. Patrick's Day person. Oh, I forgot. Oh, so (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's get into this Italian princess bullshit over here. This bitch last night. (laughs) (laughs) Hillary was not prepared for movie battle podcast so we went on a podcast called movie battle oh
0: with kevin armstrong, armstrong yes he's the host so and nice t-
1: so what a sweetheart oh my god what is so sweetheart. nice and so, his wife
0: is nice i i did a battle with her yes yeah, so you've been on it
1: twice before
0: yes yeah, this was my third time so
1: this old pro and i'm saying old pro Ooh, dang! She, she, she. dang, <laughs> dang. <laughs> that's all i got i got nothing else <laughs> She fucking slaughtered me. Did she so slaughter you? I was speechless. I was, I, I, I really just gave up. I gotta be honest <laughs> with you. I was trying to crack jokes and be like, aren't I funny, Kevin? Don't you love me? And he's like, I don't do, a, I don't vote. I'm like, well, what the fuck are we <laughs> doing here? <laughs> what are you doing? What is your, what is the point of oh it? Oh my gosh. But so two people come on the show and they battle like, which movies better? And so. Tina had been on before and she's like, would you, do you want to go on? And I was like, sure. I'm like, and then we had to pick movies. And I know. You know. Tina's a Goodfellas fanatic. I know.
0: We should have done something maybe not like gangster. No,
1: forget it. And then I, <laughs> so then we, I was like, what about, I suggested Goodfellas and Casino because I love the Oh, I don't Casino. remember. That. I did it. I was like, what about Godfather 1 and 2? Which again would have been fucking nonsense because oh. you would have picked 2 and I would have been like, well, what oh. about 1? So I, I
0: feel like I could have done either one.
1: But of, I do of, love to. Yeah, I know. I listen, well, that's the thing about what happened last night, and I said this to Kevin at the end of the podcast. Which go oh, by the way, it is going to. I think it was pretty funny. I think we it were was, just
0: laughing. We
1: were just. T- we basically took over the podcast, and I. I don't know how many times I was like. Hi, Kevin. I don't want to tell you how to do your job here, <laughs> but like, cut this bitch off. What it is she- was so T- funny? Tina, what is your final analysis of it? Your- Why do you think a good, this shit went on for seven <laughs> minutes. I was like, hello, uh, is anybody still there? And then by the I- time it was my turn, I, w- I was like, I don't forgot what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, what am I doing here?
0: Oh my God, I was dying. I yeah, well, great you because- were, but, but you I think are going to win because you just what? you're like you just have this you're Girl. just so lovely and funny well. and <laughs> I, I just think that's gonna cinch it
1: first of <laughs> all you take everything you know you take everything very seriously and, I do and you I I he sent us these are the questions yes and oh by the way <laughs> I'm gonna tell you something that's so fucking embarrassing but I think it's hilarious oh no I don't know where my okay this weekend has been so busy and it's, it's not over we still have we are doing a beautiful glamour shots tonight oh which God. in our suits no I'm, a, I'm
0: excited I'm, but excited. I'm
1: but it's the last thing of the weekend after ten million things that we've had and to do. And then we have
0: another ten million things
1: next week. This week, yeah. This like, next I week. I can't wait until next between like podcast. Yeah. Between well, like, next Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yeah. My last weekend of March is like I'm disappearing. Go fuck yourself, oh. everybody. Like goodbye. So I but I know I need to get through all these things to get to that yes. weekend. So fine. Yeah, we have like fifty meetings this week. And oh then also gosh. the podcast we're doing yes. another a pod- little mock this week, which is I'm oh, I'm more than happy I'm to so schedule during the week for, yeah, for, yeah. for somebody. Anyway so, and then another one next Sunday. Oh my God. That's right. Oh, that's going to be a good one. Too. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, oh yes. So the embarrassing thing that I did. Yeah, that's fine. The embarrassing thing I did was, uh, I was, it was in a meeting yesterday and I needed to fill out some questions to send back to him, uh, to Kevin about like my intro. I did that. I sent it back, but part of the questions were like, it was basically answering questions about casino. Yeah. And okay. So. It was like what's your favorite movie and i literally wrote like star wars <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck so like, <laughs> tina i filled out the entire thing about fucking star no! wars like what's your favorite quote no! i'm like luke i am your no! father like bitch i no! fucking filled out star wars <gasps> that's oh no which is by the way not even my favorite movie but i thought was fun to write about so so we're in the middle of recording my part and he's asking questions and i was like in uh, my head i go oh because he literally wrote his response to my questions was i'm just making sure clarifying you're <laughs> <a> casino right <laughs> oh wait you said su-
0: you submitted the questions back
1: yes oh yes
0: oh
1: and he was like just to clarify you're doing casino right and i was like oh i know, and the so I know. I he like, just yeah. sent
0: them and i was like oh i'll be ready
1: so then after the po- so i realized in the middle of the podcast i'm like where the fuck like, I don't smoke weed. Like, I'm not on <laughs> drugs. Although my husband says coffee is drugs. I'm like, I'm maybe on coffee. I'll sell, I'll give you that much. But where the fuck was my head yesterday when I was like, Star Wars, <laughs> lightsabers. Well, you were probably
0: just like, oh, my favorite movie. Like you- I
1: don't even know what yeah. the fuck. But he <laughs> so after we would re- we were done recording, which was, again, it comes out this Wednesday. It's going to be so, I think it's going to be hella If you love us and our wonderful um, back and forth, I, you it, will love listen, me dragging. I'm trying listen. to drag. T- Tina. so well, good. It's so- I'm the bully in the schoolyard, like, pulling her hair. Yeah, going, it's you, bitch. So, like, it's so funny because she's like, stop talking. <laughs> I was like, are you controlling your pocket." I'm like, are you John Tina? <laughs> um, it's really good. I thought it was funny. Anyway. I...
0: I wish that we were on film because i would have loved yes. to have seen kevin's face when yeah. you were like to, yeah. to get her uh, get this under control yeah. that
1: she's going on for so long And by the way i'm like excuse me kevin are you gonna get control of your podcast he goes no she can go on as she wants i'm like this motherfuckers <laughs> bought into this shit what's the deal i was duped i was played i was fucking dragged on this podcast oh. to be made a fool
0: not true
1: not true but anyway it comes out (laughs) wednesday it's just it's i can't wait it's gonna be either am dying the funniest thing was (laughs) i know i know so two (laughs) things two more things about movie battle first at the end of so so afterwards i sent him a message i was like oh by the way i just realized i fucking answered all these questions about star wars i'm an asshole like i'm a fool like i have no idea where my head was yesterday i don't even i have no excuse for this and he's like oh it's fine i'm like oh whatever the second thing is that when we were done recording we were talking to him still and he goes well this has been like the, the best <laughs> ever, or something and he's like this has been so much fun he's like he goes usually i edit but if i i'm either gonna take everything out <laughs> or i'm gonna take nothing out and i was like holy Uh-oh. shit he wants to dumpster it's like a yeah. dumpster fire this whole fire <laughs> fucking podcast it was and i had like I don't want to give you the conclusion, but I basically am like, all right, fuck it. Yes, Goodfellas is the best <laughs> movie. It's the best movie. Fuck but off. But you know, like, it's it. funny
0: that he has said that that happens, I think, a lot on the show, like after people talk. Yeah. And that he said his wife did it. Listen, before.
1: I went into this knowing Goodfellas is a better movie. I, I think it's a... It's it was a, just
0: fun. It was fun. But I... A majority I majority
1: opinion, for yeah. sure. And
0: I being the little english nerd that i Ooh, am i'm honey, like huh? oh i'll analyze every bit of something oh, and
1: did she ever <laughs> this bitch is like that scene where they go poly walnuts and this person's eyeball <laughs> and that person's she's in the fucking late right you now. and you know i don't if you're a fan of this podcast you know tina and i i don't know i think i've told you before and made you aware of it but you do this thing where you your whole Sound of your tone of your voice switches when you talk about Italian, and something changes. There's a there's a something happens. Where you change the way you sound, yes. when you talk. I, I, I think it just happens. Yeah. It, you
0: know, happens to with that my was Pittsburgh. happening last night.
1: That was <gasps> happening last night. You you can hear when you're like and da 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 da, da and da, You're going on and on. I was like, oh my god, she's <laughs> fucking in Goodfellas. I mean, I'm in the movie car right now, like she's um, riding with these motherfucking yes. stabbing people. <laughs> oh my! God. It happens
0: with my my Pittsburgh accent too. The yes. other day, um, I said something. My husband was like, "What? What?" He's like, what? What did you just say? And I said, what? And um, because I I worked really hard. Mm. I worked really hard in seventh and eighth here? grade.
1: Oh, you moved here in seventh. Yes. Yeah. In so, yeah, seventh and eighth it. grade,
0: um, to because people made fun of me. Oh God. With like just. The, just the way I spoke. And no. so I, so then it, I think when I just like kind of relax or if I'm around people from Pittsburgh, like it just, I don't know, it just, you just yes. start, yes. you fall back into of it. Of course. But I remember practicing mm. saying, cause uh, I used to like guess, you do like guess like that and going this, this, Well, you know, it's this, funny because since that. we
1: started this podcast, like our friends who have listened to it, like even in the beginning would say what a beautiful voice you have. And remember even Alfredo offered oh, for to be the voice of God from one of our events because you have such a, and, and also my friend Chelsea who listens, Hey Chelsea, roller skating queen. Ooh. She, uh, she was, she listens to the podcast and she was like, Tina's voice is so calming. And I was like, yeah, that's because she's talking about the craziest shit and I, my, and I explode. So she's like, everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, no, the wild on fire. <laughs> the world's burning. Oh my God. Anyway. Go listen to Movie yes. Battle. Thank you, Kevin, for having us on. He's a subscriber, too, which is, like, oh, the best. Kevin. So um, I also wanted to mention that Little Mutt came out on Friday the 12th. Excuse me, Representative Val Demings, who what? is going to go ride motorcycles with us. Oh, Bye! See, oh, well, Tina will be in a sidecar. I'm going to be in a sidecar. I'm going be <laughs> riding motorcycles with Val. How incredible was that conversation? I mean, oh. and it was short, and I have to tell you, like, when so no it was, but i it was perfect but i like, listened to
0: it and i felt like i it it felt it didn't feel short
1: yeah and to be honest like to just like pull the curtain back a little bit but uh so we were supposed to we We're scheduled to talk to her at six o'clock we got a call from one of her uh aides her, it, at, it was
0: her chief of staff chief of
1: staff at six who was like Listen, she's between votes right now on the floor, and we we're don't like. Know. And first of all, I'm like, oh my god, that's the fucking coolest thing I've ever heard. Like, yeah. I <laughs> want to give that excuse one day. I'm sorry, I'm between votes right now. Yeah, imagine. But um, we didn't know when she was going to call back, but we were prepared to wait. For yeah, a while. We, yeah, we were like, and well, well, then, well, and then, the and the then, phone within rang, minutes,
0: she, and it was yeah. Washington DC, and I was like, <gasps> yeah, it was amazing.
1: She called like within minutes. It, yeah, so and then she got on and was able to to give us some time between votes, which is just incredible and like super. I'm just, just so impressed, so like kind. how professional yeah. and cool she was, and and girl, it was lovely. It was lovely, and so we were so so honored that she was on with us, and um, of course, I was telling um, Barefoot Lobo that I'm hoping this opens the door for Ted Deutsch, my representative, where this podcast is made in your district, sir. We we are both constituents yes. of your district. I it think would be that, great I think if he would. would, would come on. I think he would come on. Now we officially, to be honest, like. We haven't really invited him, but, uh, wait, did we, did we send him an invitation? We didn't, but. Okay. So because, because we know, were wait we were waiting. Right, so we like know people who know people who yes. might be able to help us instead of just sending a, a cold email yes. like saying, Hey, here's some things that this, you know, so maybe we'll be able to do that. Um, uh, but again, I don't know if I'd be able to handle it, but it'll be fun. Oh, I think you would. Uh, also one last thing I've been reading this, I've been skipping around in this book, um, this this stinking uh, Nora, F- the most of Nora Ephron. Oh. Do you like her? Um, oh, Tina, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? I, I, <laughs> Hillary brings a book up for once <laughs> on this podcast, and she gives me a look like uh, that's beneath me. No, no, no. That's me slamming the book. Did you hear that? That's me. <laughs> Shut Fuck you! I'm not bringing up Nora <laughs> Ephron. Go fuck what? yourself. No, you're first. Go in. No. no, forget it. I she's a not journalist, be- though. Of course, but yes. she writes. Uh, she writes. It's stories. a fiction. Some of it's So this is a lot of her work, and there's screenplays in there. No, like she wrote I don't. An, I don't, don't know. I don't. I
0: I meant it more of I'm not familiar enough with her work. I just thought she Describe was a journalist. My face. I know she's she's.
1: She's not pleased with me so i'm gonna put that down maybe i'll bring it up at the end of the podcast what i want okay. to say but you know what oh, i'm
0: sure no i just didn't know her as a writer <sighs> well,
1: but i don't know every, she's known I, as as a writer but okay. i just met as uh, i'm sorry she's not a dead white man from the 1600s <laughs> Tina. all right listen okay why don't you just start your story already Ish. oh right here we go. I mean, you know, go. it's bad enough you've slaughtered me in movie battle. Now you're insulting the thing. No, I like no, to no,
0: not true, not true, not true. Okay, right, are we ready? Go. Oh, please, let's okay. Go. It's enough for today.
1: <laughs> Jesus.
0: Today, I'm going to tell you the story of Operation Mississippi Hustle.
1: Ooh, I love that. The, the name like a movie. is so
0: good. Yes. So, Commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Corrections, Chris Epps. And school board president and former Mississippi State House Representative Mm. Cecil McCrory served the state of Mississippi for many years in their respective roles. But when the FBI uncovers a long history of bribery, Mm. these two hustlers find themselves bargaining for their lives. Oh boy, here we go. So our story takes place in Mississippi and... I don't know Mississippi it's just deep south right Mm. like Andrew Jack like Jackson Mississippi named after Andrew Jackson yeah I mean should they change that
1: yes right (laughs) I mean without a doubt and I gotta tell you I've started uh episodes about Andrew Jackson and it's just like I I honestly if you ever wanted to like split that like we should do one episode oh we should there's so much out and he's just he was Honestly, I feel like monster material. Like, Oh, he's just, horrific. horrific, unfucking believable.
0: So that's just what I think about when I think, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's amazing, wonderful parts of Mississippi and other things, but I, it's just steeped in sort of yeah. that. So there are many, many, many people involved in this scandal, but I'm going to focus just on Epps and McCrory. So starting with Christopher Epps, he had a 32 years experience in Mississippi's criminal justice system. And for 12 of those 32 years, he served in an appointed position as commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Corrections, and they just refer to it as MDOC. Mm -hmm. He got his start in the prison system when MDOC reached out to Epps, and at the time, he was a science and a math teacher, and they asked him if he wanted to work in the prison system. And I couldn't figure out, like, why they called him, and he, in this article... Uh, by Tina Treckner of Governing, he mentioned that he had applied, I believe it was to like the University of Mississippi. There was something maybe that was connected that way through Mm. the Department of Correction. So weird. Whatever it was, they call him up and, you know, um, ask him to do this. And he came from a long line of educators, and he explained that in that 2010 interview. And he also talked about getting that call and saying Hey, no, I don't want to do this. I just got this job teaching. And they're like, come on, do it, do it. And so he takes a shift. Mm. So he's doing like a night shift. And then as a teacher, you know, you're up early. So he's teaching uh, early.
1: Weird. And well, then he why? would. Yeah, why?
0: But then he started moving up to different positions. And he just shifts entirely into. Leaves teaching? Leaves teaching. Okay. And so he ended up becoming the country's youngest deputy superintendent. Mm. And then he eventually made it to that commissioner uh, position. And that is over all of the state's Department of Corrections, right? Like it's the whole state system Mm. that he's in charge of. And he was also in 2010 elected president of the American Correctional Association. Wow. Yeah. So he's really successful. And some things that he did in his role, and this is according to PeoplePill, he reduced the use of solitary confinement, he reduced prison population with early releases for nonviolent offenders, Mm. and he set up halfway houses for returning citizens. Jesus! So he had done a lot of stuff. Yeah,
1: great guy. This is awesome.
0: Yes. So now let's move on to our other major player. I'll talk about him, and then I'll kind of go into where things go awry for the two of them. Okay. So like Epps, Cecil McCrory had this long career as a public servant as well. And he has an interesting trajectory that I do not think could happen today. Mm-hmm. Uh According to Emily Lee Cause's article in the Clarion Ledger, McQuarrie served as a justice court judge with only a high school education.
1: Wait, <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute.
0: <laughs> Mrs. He-he. Yeah. What yeah. the fuck? Yeah.
1: How is that even a thing? I don't know. Like I was trying <laughs> to find like
0: how this happened and could not find any information, but he just like really got himself involved the same thing, like working and Mm. these different jobs and (laughs) lands this job as a justice court judge. I was like, what, how? No, that's four years after that though, after he was a judge, he was elected to the state legislature for two terms. And then according to LaCause's reporting while in office, uh, McCrory sat on and then chaired the joint legislative committee on performance evaluation and expenditure review and a former colleague from that committee, uh, John Turcott, noted that when the committee researched private pi- prisons as an option for overcrowding, McCrory had offered his insight and demonstrated a, quote, interest in law enforcement and corrections. I mean,
1: being so a state, this is where he gets involved with all this. He, yeah. So the, being elected a state legislature on a high school with high school education, that doesn't bother me. Like, that's fine. Uh, yeah, no. But I mean, n- not having a law degree as a judge... Seems I,
0: odd. Yeah, yeah. Did he try cases? Like, I how
1: mean, how does he know the law? I, I mean, there's know. so much you need to know. You cannot no sit there and they, what, what the hell? Yeah, it's
0: very odd. Very,
1: very odd. odd.
0: And I couldn't find any corroborating. I just found this article that said that, and then I found something else that said he was a judge, but I did, there was no mm. education. So I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Lacaze further reported that after McCrory lost his house seat in 1995, he became a lobbyist, and from there. He works for the Professional Bail Agents Association of Mississippi, the Mississippi Coroner Medical Ex- Examiner Association, the Mississippi Sheriff's Association, mm. Professional Bail Agents of, um, Association of Mississippi. So all of these, again, it's all connected to law enforcement mm-hmm. and, and the, the correctional right. system. And the article reveals that McCrory also started um, all of these different businesses it was, you know, just listing these different businesses that he was starting. Mm. So that's kind of all happening around the same time. So how are these two connected? Mm-hmm. So according to R.L. Nave of the Jackson Free Press, essentially Epps, who is the commissioner of the MDOC, mm-hmm. accepted bribes and kickbacks mm. from McCrory, who's that uh, the former state rep. And he was also chairman of the school board at the time. Okay. So he's a school board member.
1: Jesus. Guy never turns down a fucking job.
0: Yeah. In exchange for contracts and work for his companies and for others too. Mm. So they were indicted in 2014, but the investigation started in 2007. So they spent seven years like building this case against these two. So, a major incident. Mm. Way back in 2007, McCrory started a business. So remember I said he was starting all those businesses. One of them was called GT Enterprises. And NAVE reports that they got a no-bid contract from Epps mm. for commissary services at the state prisons. And so remember, Epps is the head of all of the prisons in the state. And I want to say I think six prisons were involved in this scandal. And the investigation found that Epps received about 15 payments of 3000 to $4,000 mm. for that contract. And the other thing that was a little weird is then McCrory sold GT Enterprises for someone else. So, he, so GT Enterprises gets all these contracts, and then he's able to sell GT Enterprises, right? Mm. And he makes all this money off of GT Enterprises, wow. off of the sale. So that was sort of one of the things. And Nave also reports that Epps asked McCrory to pay off one of his houses. I think it was his condo. And McCrory does it. So he takes out two cashier, che- uh, cashier checks for $200,000 each. And later he takes out more money. And Nave's article cites the indictment, which noted, quote, Epps told McCrory that McCrory could get anything he wanted in the future from MDOC through Epps. So he's wow. like, you do this for me, I'll give you whatever you want. Oh,
1: my gosh.
0: So, Nave also explains that companies who received contracts to run private prisons from MDOC paid McCrory as a consultant. <laughs> so he got him <laughs> these, like, this. consultant gigs, uh, right? Every one mm. of these
1: scumbags is a consultant. It's right. un-fucking-believable. It's just like
0: one hand washes the other oh in these hustles. God. You know what I mean? Yes. It's, it's just... The state of Mississippi also, around this time, starts making contracts with private prison management companies to build and operate prisons. And so that's a lot of money, and that's that's where they, they make their money in this uh, scandal. And eventually it held contracts for those six for-profit prisons. And wow. I just thought it was interesting that Geo Group happened to be... Ooh. That's a one favorite. of those That's a
1: Florida favorite
0: one of those. Mm.
1: And they said that those that the prisons oh, like, didn't have any. Let me say something real quick. If you like a candidate who's running for a state seat, uh, please go check to see if they've ever received money for geo from geo group. Because if they have, you should not support them anymore.
0: Right. Or any of these private right. for-profit prisons. The Geo group
1: is a big one in South Florida. So please. Oh my God. Please, I didn't please, realize please that they look. were in Mississippi. Oh my God. Forget it.
0: I, I really didn't. I thought it yeah. was just like a state mm. thing. So for the rest of this, I'm going to be referring to the uh, actual, like the FBI indictment. Okay. And there's a link to that in our show notes. <laughs> in addition for paying off Epps's mortgage, McCrory was making these secret payments. And when Epps took that cash, so this is like what he, so you can't just take bundles full of cash and Mm. throw them in your bank account because that's going to start tipping people off. So he illegally structured the deposits to avoid the taxes. So if you deposit over $10,000 in a bank account, the bank has you fill out a special tax form, but say you deposit ninety and nine hundred and 99 cents. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to fill out that form. Yes. And there's, um, so basically he made several of these under 10 grand wow. deposits <laughs> to hide what he was doing. And don't kill me. There is a Sopranos connection, oh, I don't know God. if you remember, with was, Carmella. Yes, I was yes. going to
1: say, this reminds me. Yes, because, yes. and the she guy's the, like, Didn't she steal it from the duck feeder? The yeah, duck she feeder stole,
0: food? like, the 40K, and the yeah. guy's like, oh, wow, it's, it's so funny that it's a 9,900, and she's like, oh, wow. Well, don't know you about yeah. that. <laughs> so, she, yeah, she knows Miss what's it, going Miss on. Innocent. So, the indictment reports that this structuring got to $1.4 million. Holy
1: cow!
0: From 2008 to 2014, 1.4 million. So even when they started
1: investigating, this was still happening. And they, yeah, they're just, uh, yeah, I guess they're just building it. Wow. And they're
0: watching what's happening. Yeah. So, and McCrory, how much did McCrory make in this? Prison Legal News reported that he made about 4.6 million in commissions and contracts.
1: Holy cow.
0: And do you want to know, like, these contract amounts? Like, how much in contracts do you think these prison contracts were worth? So according to Gates, Clarion ledger article, Epps took that $1.4 million to steer around $800 million in state contracts.
1: Oh my God. And what happens when they <laughs> do that? so is much not, money. It is, but they're not looking at who's the best company for the no, job. He's it's just, just like, like McCrory. Who, yeah. who's
0: next? Like who, yes. What are we doing? It is who, wild. I mean,
1: these are human beings lives. Like they're going to be under the control of these companies. Yeah. In the prisons.
0: So an article I found revealed an interesting way to that McCrory transferred the money because you had to launder the money too. Because again, we have to hide mm-hmm. how this money's coming in. So one example that they gave was that he took like in this sort of fake sale, like I'm buying a tractor from Epps for $40,000. Then he would wire the money back to Epps. And then they have this transaction that isn't a real transaction to show like I took money from you. But I'm not taking money from you, and then I'm wiring you back this money that's for this. It, it's like, it's too confusing. I don't even know how but to begin. Also, I how know, but to also money? Like,
1: even if you're doing all these wire transfers and everything, um it's gonna be it a lot of tra- transfers between two people who kind of, you know, it, it does it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, it's
0: I know. Like they're red I know. flags. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you start looking. Yes. Yes. So how do things go down? So how do they always go down? The, uh, the feds start recording meetings. Mm, they start watching and yes, staking out these yes. guys, and they just gather more and more evidence until they strike. And more details were really offered by this other article in the Clarion Ledgers, of this Emily Lacaze. She reported that it was a sex scandal that triggered the investigation. Ooh. So allegedly Epps was trying to cover up a relationship between a warden and an inmate. And Lee County Sheriff Greg Wagoner, he blew the whistle on it all because basically Epps t- says to the sheriff, this case between the warden and the inmate closed. And the sheriff's like, uh, how are you closing this case? There hasn't been an investigation. Like, what's going on? And he ends up calling the U.S. attorney, John Dowdy. D- John Dowdy then contacts the FBI. They start looking into that case. They start seeing all this other stuff.
1: I, I had to tell you the the inept in, the the amount of uh, inability to actually do their jobs for these two gentlemen. This Epps, should never be in charge of a prison. I'm assuming it's a male warden having a relationship with a female Well, prisoner, that's what I'm assuming. Which, way, I'm assuming fucking, as well, which is rape. That's rape. right. You and you cannot have a relationship. Right. And so with instead of protecting
0: the prisoner, right. he's, he's out himself. for him, himself. And he's like, I, I don't need but any. This is heat. somebody
1: who should have never been involved or in charge no, of any no, fucking jail. But, jails but or here prisons. he is
0: for 20 something years more. It's, it's wild. It's incredible. Wild. So then you have people's to think lives. how many other things are covered up. That so, but,
1: but Tina, that's the cut. That's the fucking scandal for me. Yeah. I mean, people steal money. Like dude, these, I mean, it's not yeah. a harmless crime, but it's fucking harmless. This is, that's a fucking scandal. That, yes, that yes. Covering, oh, up covering up that? a rape yes. and a, oh, a well they there's, there's other
0: stuff. It's so fucked. It's messed up. So the charges, there was a 49 count indictment over eight charges. So mm. count one, honest services, wire fraud, conspiracy, with um, a potential 20 years and $250,000 fine. Counts 2 to 13 were bribery for Epps only, and that carried 10 years at $250,000 fine. Counts 14 to 22, bribery, McCrory only, carrying 10 years at $250,000. Count 23, money laundering conspiracy, 20 years at $500,000. Counts 24 to 27, honest services wire fraud, with 20 years at $250,000 fine, counts 28 through 41 illegal structuring of financial transactions, five years at $250,000 fine, counts 42 to 43 money Jesus. laundering, 20 years at $500,000 fine, Damn. and then counts 44 through 49 filing false tax returns, which could uh, be up to three years at $100,000 fine. At first, they both pled not guilty. <laughs> But no then, shit. but then they took plea deals and, but Mississippi today did note that McCrory claimed to have had ineffective counsel and wanted to change his plea back to not guilty and go to trial, but he was denied that. So first he's like, I'm going to plead guilty and they make a deal. They spill everything. Mm. And then he's like, no, my, my counsel, it was ineffective. I want to go to trial now. And they're like, no, you, you no, like we can't switch it mid. You know, mid-game or whatever the the phrase is. Courthouse News reported that the government also at that time of the indictment seized Epps's bank accounts, condo, house, and two Mercedes-Benz. And according to WTOK, the sentencing. In 2017, McCrory was sentenced to eight and a half years in prison. He had to forfeit $1.7 million.
1: Jesus Christ. And he had to
0: pay $200,000 in fines. And according to Jimmy Gates of the Clarion Ledger, Epps was sentenced to 19.7 years in prison, $100,000 in fines, and he had to forfeit his home and $2 million in assets. Wow. So according to the FBI report, then acting U.S. attorney Harold Britton had this to say, quote, The abuse of power and position by public officials has plagued our state for many years. Our tolerance for public corruption is zero. We will hold accountable under the law everyone who bears the responsibility of public service and sells the trust that has been bestowed upon them. We will not tolerate such fraud and abuses by public officials that have cost our citizens so dearly. The Clarion Ledger cited Judge Henry Wingate's words at Epps's sentencing. This is not a simple crime. This is the largest graft operation in the state of Mississippi. Damn. Definitely the largest I have seen, Mr. Epps betrayed the state of Minnesota, Mississippi. Mm. And then Epps' statement, as reported by Jimmy Gates of the Clarion Ledger, reads, quote, it comes back to greed. I made some stupid mistakes I will regret for the rest of my life. I hope this won't overshadow the 27 years of good things I have done. <sighs> Fuck off. I can't say enough how sorry I am. I have tried to make it right by working tirelessly with the government. Oh, God. So the aftermath... Both men resigned when the indictments came out, and the governor at the time, Phil Bryant, ordered that all contracts involved in this hype be canceled and put back out to bid. So he just was like, good. we're canceling all these yes, contracts, honey. and we're going to try to make it right. So yeah. I thought that was at least a good thing Yes, that started coming out of it. And then some points of interest. I just have a few. So Emily Lacaz reported in the Clarion Ledger. So this is this is like a... Personal incident from Macquarie's life, but it was interesting, so in two thousand Macquarie's daughter was killed mm. uh, at nineteen
1: no by a
0: drunk driver Fuck. so the man who was driving uh was driving for a trucking company, and that man was sentenced to prison, and they collected three point three million dollars from hey, the trucking hey. company in two thousand and nine for the loss and I mean that does not begin to cover the loss of a child like nothing no. will ever cover that, right. But he got this huge settlement, you know. You, you, this is before he sort of gets involved in this heist. Like, you have this settlement. Your family went through a tragedy. Why would you put your wife and your son through something else? You know what I mean? Like, what? Uh, like, your family's been through enough. Like now, you're going to run them through
1: this whole media
0: circus and. I, I, mean, I don't know. I
1: hear you. I, that's a good point, but we're talking about, there's no logical, greed. there's, it's there's greed. greed and there's no logical thinking happening. And also when people start doing this, they think they're not going to get caught. Yeah. So there's never, never a I part where they're like, like God, because it went this... on for seven years. Yeah. I mean, there's just a point where you're getting away with it for so long. You're, you become.
0: Well, seven years you know? that they, yeah. I mean, I'm sure right, they that we know about right. right. Prison legal news shared the sentence, sentencing of another person involved. There was a uh, um, Sam Wagoneer who was a prison telephone contractor and according to the article, he ended up getting sentenced five years because he gave Epps part of the money he made from the contract. So like, mm. that's the deal. Like, I'll give you this contract. You give me the kickback. Yeah. And he did this for two years, but Wagoner wanted to stop the kickback. And he alleges that he wrote a letter to Epps indicating that he didn't want the feds. He's like, I don't want the feds coming after me. Like, listen, like, let's just stop this deal. But he claims that Epps ripped up the letter, flushed it down the toilet mm and said their deal was still on and Wagner said that because Epps was his boss he didn't think he could get out of this and i feel like look you're playing with fire you made the deal
1: mm-hmm.
0: like you can't be like yes you know i got the contract now i feel guilty about it and, and want to go okay like thanks for giving me that contract i know i said i'd give you money but you know now like let's try to keep it on the up and up like mm-hmm. the guy's going to be like what no right we made a deal right i just was like this guy's an idiot what are you talking about
1: Oh you know, you'd get caught all of a sudden you start thinking you know, yeah. <laughs> what trying can to get I say? your way out. Yeah. But
0: that was what so there were all these sort of like side contract people that were arrested and yes. serving time for all these Hello contracts. And Good. this was a telephone contract. There were contracts for all sorts of things. Wow. That you can imagine. Mm. So um again, I didn't um get into everyone involved. But there was another person involved, and Prison Legal News um, outlines this other lesser-known... Really, that article outlines all the lesser-known people that were involved, all of the little contracts. Mm -hmm. And um, an interesting person from that article, though, was Dr. Carl Reddix, who had a contract to treat prisoners. Mm. And he allegedly paid Epps $2,000 a month for each state prison contract that he got. So it started at $6,000, then $8,000, and it topped at $9,500 a month
1: fuck and, man right? that's, a, that's insane and then for again one person
0: for one person but again here's this doctor mm. don't we want the best doctor for no the, you know I, we want I, the, you, who's gonna spend give right. me the most
1: money again again but it's who, putting people at risk but it's, that's right you're talking about a doctor who one of these women would probably go to and be like the warden's raping me
0: oh they're not gonna, gonna ha- do anything yeah, and how yes. is that
1: person gonna do something yes. when he's a fucking criminal too yes get the fuck out of here
0: so the other thing that i thought was interesting is when epps was indicted they weren't in jail they, they were out on bond mm-hmm. and during that time epps got arrested for breaking and entering wow <laughs>
1: wait what
0: i thought it was so oh, funny
1: i can't get out of his own he way he can't
0: get out but so basically he had to forfeit his own home Ugh. so he went back to that house oh. and was taking light fixtures like outdoor light fixtures to just taking them down and like stealing them to sell who, who the hell knows. Oh and he got busted and he got thrown in jail and they added another seven years <laughs> on his sentence <laughs> for stealing his own damn light fixtures. Oh my God. I'm like, what, what That's are you ridiculous. doing? Why? Ridiculous! Why? A couple more things. And this will probably, you know, the shine another light on, on, uh, the bad stuff. Cause the bad stuff is yes. The, um, this whole case with the hustle, but, That wasn't the only thing that was going on in those prisons. So Courthouse News reported that in 2013, both the ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center sued Epps and two other correctional officers on behalf of a group of prisoners who claimed in an affidavit that the prison was, quote, an extremely dangerous facility operating in a perpetual state of crisis where prisoners live in barbaric and horrific conditions and their basic human rights are violated daily. Wow. And further alleged inhu- inhumane conditions, specifically with mental health mm. quote, among the hundreds of mentally ill prisoners at EMCF are many whose untreated illnesses lead to extreme behaviors, such as screaming, babbling, throwing excre- excrement and starting fires. Suicide attempts are frequent. Some are successful. The complaint stated, Other prisoners engage in gross acts of self-mutilation, including electrocution, swallowing shards of glass and razors, and tearing into their flesh with sharp objects. Defendants deny prisoners even rudimentary mental health treatment, and last year, reduced access to psychiatric care. So, when you're selling contracts to doctors, Mm. right, you're not providing for these prisoners. Right. Like, you don't care about the prisoner. You're just like, how can I make money? How can I make money? Meanwhile, I mean, Uh, in in the facility that's dealing with prisoners that have severe mental illness, like, this is horrible.
1: No. So a pro-public article. Are you telling me that it's, uh, you can't believe that somebody who had no experience, uh, running a jail or prison, uh, that he actually doesn't know how to fucking take care of people? Like, I know that prisons are for people who, who have committed crimes. Like, I get it. Right, but they're still human beings. That's right. And we still have to give them the treatment of a human being. Of
0: course. I mean, please. Well, but this guy Epps, though, he started off, um he's the one that started
1: as off a teacher as a teacher yes. but he
0: but he started off at like a low level and he worked his way up
1: training yeah.
0: to get that appointment well, can so, you,
1: but what kind of fucking training is this he doesn't understand like what's happening in these jails like people are reporting these things and he's i not, think that he's so I mean, greedy
0: and horrible that yeah. he doesn't care because he's making 1.4 million dollars it's incredible so a pro public article by uh Jerry Mitchell corroborates these allegations and gives some more details like a prisoner alleging that guards were walking around with samurai swords <sighs> and how gangs were fleecing families for money. So there were gangs that were, you know, really running the show in some of these prisons, telling family members, if you don't give me money, I'm gonna hurt your family member. And so they were um afraid that their family member would be killed and the guards who were on the take did nothing. It's a really good article. And that's in our notes as well. Mm. Some other final little uh, notes in 2017, the judge changed McCrory's fine, lowered it from 150,000 to 20k. I don't know why he, you know, got off with all of that less money. Um, And then Epps spilled everything in his uh, bid to cooperate and shorten Those sentences, because remember, it's like a lot of jail time added up together. And the FBI agent said that he had a 10 out of 10 Mm. for his cooperation. And (laughs) there's a great timeline that I just, um, if you're interested in the story that Jimmy Gates of the Clarion Ledger does, and it goes year by year of everything that happens. So you can check that out in our notes. And that's the story of Operation Mississippi Hustle.
1: Wow. It makes me so sad. I feel like people take that money and they don't realize like... The imp- like what are what who's who's really the, the who's getting, getting the hurt. short end of the yeah. stick here so we mentioned on that movie battle podcast last night that kevin guessed the person i'm covering i'm <laughs> i'm covering oh he did yes uh, oh so former u.s vice president spiro agnew what? that's yeah oh that's i wasn't funny. sure because yes. you kind of you were like well I was like, yeah this, i would hear some hints and he goes spiro agnew i'm like this motherfucker <laughs> <I'm> like <"Shh." laughs> kevin god damn it what are you doing yes that's who I'm covering. So there's this a lot. This is exciting. Yes. And there's a lot. And I didn't really know a lot about him. I knew that he had to resign, but I really, I, I honestly didn't know why. <laughs> like I don't think I ever really give up, you know, learned about it, but.
0: Well, because yeah, everyone's so focused on uh, Nixon. Nixon. Yes. Yeah.
1: So. And, and what a name. What a name. Right. All right. So <laughs> I, I get, and I, you know, I, I was telling Tina earlier when she got here, like I've cut out as much as I can and I probably will still jump over some of his. His past, but there's things that happen in certain parts of his life that I think, you know, need to be said. So, starting with um, his family. So, Spiro Agnew's father was born, I am going to wreck these names, but Theophrastos (laughs) Agnostopoulos. In about, that was his name, in 1877 in the Greek town of Gargaleona. Leonie, oh girl, Ooh, don't come at Greece. me. Oh, Tina, me too. Oh, let's let's go. Okay, okay. <laughs> the family, do you, is your passport up to date? Get it done and let's go to Greece. Okay. Oh my God,
0: my passport is expired.
1: Yeah. No. Oh, by the way. During I don't Trump, even know was how to that shit like get it renewed. I know. I got I feel like
0: it's a process once it expires though. And get them
1: for the kids by the way. I all know. right, so which I haven't done and need to do. So the family may have been involved in olive growing and been impoverished during a crisis in the industry in that industry in the 1890s and so his father emigrated to the United States in 1897 and settled in Schenectady, New York where he changed his name to Theodore Agnew and opened a diner. Is there anything better uh, than a Greek diner by the oh way? Oh
0: my god. My favorite. I had a my friend favorite. who family i mean she, she spoke greek mm. um she was from canada There are a lot of greeks in canada okay and she was down here and her aunt ran a diner oh oh best. my god
1: i love spinach pie oh. oh my god spanakopita i think it's oh called. she used it. to
0: make that oh my god it's so and what's good. the other one the ba- bak- baklava baklava yeah oh, is that the honey one yes she used to make Girl. that and bring it over so oh
1: good. so he, oh, his darling. father was a passionate self-educator. He maintained a lifelong interest in philosophy. And one family member recalled that, quote, if he wasn't reading something to improve his mind, he wouldn't read. Wow. I love this guy. Uh, around 1908, he moved to Baltimore, where he purchased a restaurant. And he this is where he met his, um, a guy who was a meat inspector. His name was William Pollard. And the two of them became friends. And Pollard and his wife, Margaret, were regular customers at the restaurant. And after Pollard died in April 1917, Agnew and Margaret Pollard began a courtship in which led to their marriage in December of 1917. So their son, Spiro, was born 11 months later on November 9th, uh, 1918. I like that little story it's very about cute. these two. I know. Um, so during the early 1920s, the Agnews prospered, but the period of affluence ended with the crash of 1929 and the restaurant closed. In 1931, the, family sa- the family's savings were wiped out when a local bank failed, <gasps> forcing them to sell their house and move into a small apartment.
0: Oh, no. So
1: Agnew later recalled how his father responded to these misfortunes, quote, he just shrugged it off and went to work with his hands without complaint. Wow. I, I just, see, this is the stuff yes. I can't cut. I just love the yes. immigrant story yeah. who just puts his head down. And keeps going, and it's like he's found fortune and loses it. It's just, I fucking love that so. Yeah, because he
0: could be in the corner crying.
1: Yeah. And yeah. he just fucking went to work. Um, in February 1937, Spiro Agnew, uh, Spiro Agnew entered, a John, entered Johns Hopkins University at their new Homewood Dang. campus in North Baltimore as a chemistry major. After a few months, he found the pressure of the academic work increasingly stressful and was distracted by the family's continuing financial problems and worries um, about the uh, international situation, which war seemed likely, right? So we're yeah. approaching war. In 1939, he decided that his future... Uh, lay in law rather than chemistry and so he left johns hopkins and began night classes at the university of baltimore school of law to support himself he took a day job as an insurance clerk with the maryland casualty company and at that office he met a young filing clerk eleanor Judifine, known as judy and they began dating and became engaged and married in baltimore in may uh, 1942 and they would go on to have four children together okay so by the time of the by the time of the marriage, Agnew had been drafted into the U.S. Army going into World War II. Shortly after the Pearl Harbor attack in December 1941, he began basic training at Camp Croft in South Carolina. He eventually was sent to the Officer Candidate School at Fort Knox, Kentucky. And three days before his wedding, he was commissioned as a second lieutenant. After a two-day honeymoon, Agnew returned to Fort Knox. And for the sake of just, like, keeping this episode <laughs> short, I'm just going to go tell you that he was sent to England in March 1944, leading up to D-Day, and that the battalion he commanded was sent to France and saw action oh. at the Battle of the Bulge. Um, he, uh, when he returned home, and when he was discharged in November 1945,
0: he... Um, oh, he's got a good little
1: yeah. while. Yeah, and so he got the Bronze Star for Combat Infantry, uh, and the Combat Infantry Badge, and the Bronze Star. Okay, mm. so... Post-war, he returns to civilian life, Agnew resums, resumed his legal studies, and he secured a job as a law clerk with the Baltimore firm of Smith & Barrett. And until now, Agnew had been largely apolitical, right? His nominal allegiance had been to the Democratic Party, which is his father's beliefs, but a senior partner um, advised Agnew that um, – if he wanted a career in politics, he should become a Republican. Well, um, who's
0: this guy? <laughs> who's this guy? So in his, you know, ear? he was
1: telling him there's a lot of really ambitious young Democrats in Baltimore. Baltimore is a very Democratic city, uh, so he's like, and, if you want to try to stand out, yeah, he's like in and and in, in the in the suburbs, and he's like, but there's not a lot of competent, personable Republicans so like you could really go further if you were a republican
0: wow i mean it, to <laughs> me that's just like you it, i think it's, it's
1: before it's time really because
0: but to but to change your whole sort of mindset well i don't know maybe how you didn't
1: really care before right right yeah, if he's, so he's apolitical, because
0: like, he's like, okay, one party or the other. Yeah. And, and I don't think things were as polarized as exactly. they are now, That's so it I probably mean. didn't matter yeah. so much.
1: So he took Barrett's advice, and, he, uh, and moving, he moved his wife and his children to the Baltimore suburb of Lutherville in 1947 and registered as a Republican, though he did not immediately become involved in politics. So he graduates from law school, and he passes the Maryland Bar Exam, and he opened up his, law, his own law practice in 1952 in downtown Baltimore, hey. specializing in labor law. Um, and then in 19 19- 55 Lester Barrett was appointed a judge in Towson um and the county seat of Baltimore County Maryland like opened up so so Baltimore is like the county and then the city and the city is poor people of color you know working class the county is mostly white of you know what I mean and so sometimes so but people from the county but, but will go into the city is to the work. city
0: part of the county
1: not really it's like so it would separate be like, governments.
0: Like, so, oh so it's like Broward County yeah and... Baltimore City
1: is something separate
0: and like Miami or something,
1: I guess. I, I think just, when you say county, I I mean I don't think it's county like we like county. like we
0: know county. Okay, yeah. okay, okay.
1: I know they're separate, and I a lot of my knowledge of that comes from the show The Wire. From,
0: oh, on HBO. Okay, so I need to do a whole <laughs> rewatch of this. Oh my god, because I watched it. When was it on? However, many years ago, it's the
1: best fucking show. I'm sorry. I know Sopranos. I get it, but like, no, no, no. The Wire is. So I have fun. a. It's my I have a friend show.
0: who just love, and the guy, he loves that guy in it, who is also in the affair. Oh yeah, um, Mcnulty. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's so many hot Mcnulty scenes. Girl, All right. watch it for All the right. fu- the scene, the sex scenes. You okay. know, what? I think I'm going to start it. Please, please start it. I would love to talk to you about The Wire, okay. and Idris Elba is in it. Um, do you know who he is? He's an I know, English no, actor. I do. Honey, he's so fucking hot in this. And his English, his American accent. Wait is a minute. Very- I think
0: I'm confusing The Wire with another show. What? Was there, is The Wire about prison? No.
1: Oh, that's Oz. Oh, then I've <laughs> never seen The
0: Wire. Girl, what
1: the fuck? You have no, to watch The No, I've never seen
0: it. <gasps> okay, so I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Please,
1: it is so, you're going to love it.
0: Yeah, no, I've it's never like seen It's like everything it. we love
1: talking about, education, journalism, school, like drugs. Uh, well, it's like but what is police. it about? Is it like so a police drama? It's all about Baltimore. It all takes place in the city in baltimore but every season kind of focuses on a different aspect of like where the city's failing or where's what's it so the first season is about you get to know all these characters it's like the police versus the drug dealers but it's also the kids that are working for the drug dealers it's so fucking good and then the second season is about the docks and how the docks are like closing and and but oh. th- you still have some of the you have the same characters from the first season but
0: is it like a police show yeah, no. yeah, 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 yeah 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 okay
1: it's all from the point of view of the police but also from you know you fall in love with all of these characters Especially like um, Omar Little, who's this incredibly uh, just like heartwarming, like uh, gay, you know, gangster drug thief. He steals from the drug dealers like a Robin Hood or something, what? and he's got a stalled off shotgun and no. he whistles uh, Farmer in the Dell when he's what? coming through. Like, he's just you fall in love with these people. Okay, who are like, okay. okay, it's so good. Anyway. I'm gonna
0: watch it. All right. Sorry. Segway. Segway. We'll be back. Moving Cut back. Cut that and
1: I'm going to put it up as a please listen to the wire. <laughs> Everybody should. I don't know why anybody would not do that for me. Okay. So Spiro um, moved his family to Towson um. Because he wants to, like, find a way to get in, right? So he starts serving as a president of the local school's PTA. He joins the Kiwanis. You know, he gets really involved in, like, community activities so that he can... Run. So... You know, people start showing up to events. You're like, oh, this guy's going to run for office. and Like, that's what he started to do.
0: But he was apolitical and just decided, I want this career in politics. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's like, you know, that's why he took that advice to run it to be a Republican, you know? So... His first bid for political office was in 1956 when he sought to be a Republican candidate for the Baltimore County Council. He was turned down by local party leaders, but nevertheless campaigned vigorously for the Republican ticket. So, you know, he's the leaders are like, we don't know who you are. Yeah. Same old, same old, same thing happens here. He was turned. OK, so the election resulted in an un, unexpected Republican majority on the council. And in recognition for his party work, Agnew was appointed for a one year term uh, for, to the county zoning board of appeals at a salary of thirty six hundred dollars per year. So, oh, so he got a like, board, board position. Yes, we we know, we passionate. know what this is. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, the, the quasi judicial post provided an important supplement to his legal practice and Agnew welcomed the prestige connected with this appointment. And in April, 1958, he was reappointed to the board for a full three-year term and became its chairman. In the November 1960 elections, Agnew decided to seek election to the county circuit court against the local tradition that sitting judges seeking reelection were not opposed oh can't do that right tina can't run against somebody who's sitting there already even though if they're a piece of shit we're not gonna do that right i'm so
0: tired it's what we what year is what
1: year is this yeah 1960 why are we it's (laughs) we do that in 2020 folks we do that 60 years later now i gotta say there are people who are sitting i don't mind if you're gonna run against somebody if they're a democrat you're running against a democrat okay great if they're shitty and they need to be taken out. But if they're a good Democrat, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? You're going to ruin your name. And we've seen this happen. We just saw this last week.
0: Yeah, we just saw
1: it. Bye.
0: Bye. Um,
1: He was was unsuccessful, of course, finishing last of these five candidates. This failed attempt raised his profile and he was regarded by his Democratic opponents as a Republican on the rise. The 1960 election saw the Democrats win control of the County Council and one of the first actions was to remove Agnew from the zoning appeals board right like he's now a threat to them so according to agnew's biographer jules whitcover um he wrote quote the the publicity generated by the democrats crude dismissal of agnew cast him as the honest servant wronged by the machine end quote right you got to be careful when you do shit like that i love that wronged by the machine you can spin it if you can spin it that way of like oh they they know that i'm so great and i could do all they know that i want to make changes and make things better and that's why I'm i'm a threat to them and right so seeking to capitalize on this mood, Agnew asked to be nominated as a Republican candidate in the 1962 U.S. congressional elections in Maryland's 2nd Congressional District. The party chose the more experienced J. Fife Symington, but wanted to take advantage of Agnew's local support so that he accepted, so he offered uh, for, that, for him to run for a county executive, so the county's chief executive officer, a post which the Democrats had held since 1895. Wow. Yeah. So Agnew's That's chances huge. It's huge. in so his chances in nineteen sixty two were boosted by a feud in the Democratic ranks, uh. as the retired former county executive Michael Birmingham had fell out with his successor and defeated him in the Democratic primary. By contrast to the his opponent, Agnew was able to campaign as a white knight promising change, right? His program included an anti discrimination bill requiring public amenities such as parks, bars, restaurants to be open to all races, policies that neither Birmingham nor uh, any Maryland Democrat could have introduced at the time without angering supporters. Mm. Right. So, of course, he wins in the November election and Simmingen, Simmington lost to Democrat. Simmington was running for the House seat, right? The one that Agnew wanted. The Democrats put Simian, Simmington in, but he lost, which means Agnew then became the highest ranking Republican in Maryland wow. because he's got this county chief position. Yeah. Right.
0: So he's really moving up the ladder. So
1: during his laddering up (laughs) during his time as a county exec, um, Uh, His four-year term saw a moderately progressive administration, which included the building of new schools, increasing teacher salary, salaries reorganization of the police department, and improvements to the water and sewer system. His anti-discrimination bill passed and gave him a reputation as a liberal, but its impact was limited in a county where the population was 97% white. Oh, come on. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Girl. Are you (laughs) kidding? I read that and I was like, Hello. what the best yes we're we're anti-discrimination but there's nobody here it's all white so we're gonna we're gonna pat ourselves in the back it's the most privileged statement ever it's so white it's it's so girl
0: it's so white
1: it's so white (laughs) is now the name of this episode it's so fucking white it's so white it's the best oh my god girl i love it (laughs) so uh his relations with the increasingly militant civil rights movement were sometimes troubled so, in a number, this is this is the stuff I don't want to cut out. Okay, so no, no, no. In a number of desegregation disputes involving pi- private property, Agnew appeared to prioritize law and order, Ugh. showing a particular aversion to any kind of demonstration. Right? Come so, this on. is still happening. It's still happening. We, we have a it's bill called state. anti-mob bill in Florida right now that is about property. It's still fucking happening. We never change. No, it's This is it's, where I want to jump off a bridge when I listen to this it, but podcast. But it's fascinating.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating. 60 it, years.
1: Yeah. His uh, reaction to the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in Alabama in which four children died was to refuse to attend a memorial service at a Baltimore church and to denounce a planned demonstration <gasps> in support of the victims. Their children. <laughs> He's so fucking Come wild. on. But he's representing 97% white yeah, people, right? Yeah. So as county executive, Av, Agnew was sometimes criticized for being too close to rich and influential businessmen oh, God. and was accused of cronyism after bypassing the normal bidding procedures and designating three of his Republican friends as the county's insurance brokers of record, insuring them large commissions. Hello, look at your story, right? Yes.
0: I, it, it just... And this is
1: all going to come back to haunt him, right? So Agnew's standard reaction to such criticisms was to display moral indignation denounce his opponents quote outrageous distortions denying any wrongdoing and insist on his personal integrity
0: oh my god moral indignation Mm -hmm. is always the best like oh how how dare you say that about me me?
1: uh (laughs) Uh, he then runs for governor right and so as his four-year term as executive neared its end agnew knew that his chances of re-election were slim given that the county's Democrats had healed their rift. Instead in, in, so instead, in 1966, he sought the Republican nomination for governor and, with the backing of party leaders, won the April primary by a mm. wide margin. In the Democratic primary, three candidates, a moderate, a liberal, and an outright segregationist, battled for their party's gubernatorial nomination, which, to general surprise, was won by, who do you think? segregationist george mahoney a perennial unsuccessful candidate for office which is like it to me is the trump thing how is is we are at a moment we get to a A moment. segregationist as a dem but you get to a moment in history where things are so fucking wild right we're coming to the end of the obama administration things are getting heated yeah you get this guy who's comes out of really comes out of fucking who says wild things wild things people the tense like we've got the civil rights movement; things are getting tense in, yeah. in the city and in the county in Baltimore. And then all of a sudden, here comes this guy who's like, "No, no, 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 no! Everybody stay separate." Like, as a wins, Democrat,
0: it's crazy. And
1: he's saying these wild things. And he and wins. He gets the he gets a dem nomination. Well, then that's it. That's, that's it. it right? Like, well, just, so, just, just get just show Agnew where his office yeah, is. Yeah. So uh, his can- Mahoney's candidacy split the party, provoking a third party candidate, comptroller of ba- Baltimore City, um, Hyman Pressman, in Mont- Montgomery County, the state's wealthiest area. A Democrats for Agnew organization flourished and liberals oh, flocked goodness. statewide to agnew because they're right? like we can't have this crazy yeah we, crazy. Can't, yeah, we can't have well so, but there's the
0: difference right because yeah we didn't really see republicans for biden no. yeah. and oh, i mean there, there were probably were. yeah 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 there were like at the like end like this. but not like during the hillary trump no, election no 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 no, no, no. no they so, got on board um
1: listen to the, you're gonna love this mahoney was a fierce the segregationist was a fierce opponent of integrated housing exploited racial tensions with the slogan quote your home is your castle protected I oh quote. my The castle motherfucking doctrine yes what kind of it's unbelievable. what kind of democrat is this i guy? don't know but this is the same shit that's yes. here it's, it's here a- this is fucking stand your ground yes bish i the, love it the, it's like i can it's we never will learn we were going no. we are doomed to repeat everything we've ever done it, it's just it's depressing
0: it's very we depressing. should be
1: drinking while we do this podcast oh we should do that one time oh, hello i'm here Ooh. for this um agnew painted him as a candidate of the ku, the ku klux klan and said voters must choose quote between the bright pure courageous flame of righteousness and oh. the fiery cross and oh d- like that? i mean that's a good that's a tina line that's tina would great write that shit. yeah
0: wow <laughs> i mean how do people how do people check the box next to the burning cross they're not going to do it
1: <laughs> maybe they just draw like a the cross democrat, democrats democrats won't do it <laughs> no, no they won't Revo- republicans oh my might, god but
0: the democrat no i'm sorry republicans i shouldn't have said that <laughs> in I the apologize. november
1: in the november election agnew helped by uh, helped by 70% of the black vote, beat Mahoney by 455,000 votes. After the campaign, it emerged that Agnew had failed to report three alleged attempts to bribe him that had been made on behalf of the slot machine industry involving sums of 20000 75000 and $200,000 if he would promise not to veto legislation keeping the machines legal in South, southern maryland so this he did it So there's get, all this civil he didn't rights take stuff the bribe, and these he these offer yeah. money
0: and these slot machine people are like hey also just yeah don't don't encroach on our business but can you imagine so this must happen
1: all the time it has to happen all the time i mean this is random slot machines yeah. can you imagine there's real legislation that, that you know health insurance companies yes. you know like I mean, oil gun guns. guns are like hey if you do this thing for me so oh he justified gosh. his silence on the grounds that he actually, that no actual offer had been made. And he said, quote, Nobody sat down in front of me with a suitcase of money, end quote.
0: Mm, but if they
1: did, I would take it. <laughs> um, remember when yes. we last week? I yes. um, wonder what, it, what it's like to have a suitcase <gasps> of money. That was the best line oh from Tina. Agnew um, was also criticized over his part ownership of land close to the site of a planned but never built second bridge over Chesapeake Bay. I mean, he's into all kinds of wild shit opponents claimed a conflict of interest and some of agnew's partners in the venture were simultaneously involved in business deals with the county where he was the executive Come on agnew denied any conflict of impropri- impropriety saying that the property involved was outside baltimore county and his jurisdiction oh nevertheless he sold his interest in it he's like all right i'll be i'll get out of that honey agnew's term God, today governor- they would
0: probably find so much more i feel like you could hide so much stuff oh back then compared to today oh yeah 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 yeah
1: And they they had to pass laws where they could actually look at all that stuff, too. Um, So Agnew's term as governor was marked by an agenda which included tax reform, clean water regulations, and the repeal of laws against interracial marriage. Community health programs were expanded, as were higher educational and employment opportunities for those on low incomes, and steps towards taking... and. taking steps were taken towards ending segregation in schools. Segregation in schools in Baltimore reminds me of what movie girl, John Waters, the best movie hairspray. Oh, hairspray. oh. John Waters is, is Baltimore born and bred and like fucking uh, bred and born, born and bred. Is that a right thing? Is that born a and right bred. thing? Yeah. Uh, and all his movies are in, are in Baltimore, but hairspray was about oh. segregation. Ricky Lake. No, Cockroach, I, the cockroach dress. I remember again, i mean this is i don't i mean I, from from the fucking nora Ephron to now john waters i mean, know I'm out. and I'm the out. wire and no the wire. i know i yes. just am unaware i i you got to get on board with me here what, yeah. are we, what are we doing this is how but now you know how it feels when you're like and then mark twain's i know like a dummy okay anyway okay uh so So these were the first laws, like the ending segregation schools, the first such laws passed south of the Mason-Dixon line, right? For the most part, Agnew remained somewhat aloof from the state legislature, preferring the company Uh. of businessmen.
0: Oh, come on.
1: (laughs) We're looking at trouble. Some of these had been associates in the county executive days, such as Lester Matz and Walter Jones, who had been among the first to encourage him to seek the governorship. Agnew's close ties to the business community were noted by officials in the state capitals of Annapolis. Quote, there's, there always seems to be people around him who were in business. End quote. Some suspected that while not corrupt himself, he quote, allowed himself to be used by the people around him. End quote. Mm. So he publicly supported civil rights, but deplored the militant tactics Oh, his words uh, used by black leaders during the 1966 election. His record had won him the endorsement of Ro- Roy Wilkins, leader of the NAACP. In mid 1967, racial tensions were rising nationally, fueled by black di- uh, black discontent and an increasingly assertive civil rights leadership. Some cities exploded in violence, but the- and there were riots in Cambridge, Maryland, after a speech there on July 24, 1967, by by a student leader, H. Rapp Brown um agnew's principal concern was to maintain law and order and he denounced brown as a professional agitator saying quote i hope they put him away and throw away the key end quote this was a student mm. when the kerner commission appointed by president johnson to investigate the causes of the unrest racism yeah historical racism i know <laughs> uh reported the, uh, uh investigation over uh, reported that the principal factor was institutional white racism. Oh, my God. Agnew dismissed these findings. Oh, my blaming God. Blaming the, ready, quote, permissive climate and misguided compassion and adding, quote, it is not the centuries of racism and deprivation that have built, that have that have built to an explosive crescendo, crescendo, but that law breaking has become a socially acceptable oh, and occasionally stylish on. form of dissent. Oh
0: come on! What a jerk!
1: But this is this is the Black Lives it's, Matter it's over the today. summer of it's 2020. Still today. This is from the summer of 2020, oh my God. Tina. Black Lives Matter doing these, doing protests right. in the streets. And they're going, this isn't because of racism. Y'all are too, you, you, yeah, yeah, you, looting. you're looting. Yes, you're give looting. Me a, you give just want to break. break windows. You want to steal. Give me a
0: break.
1: And that's, we put, we say Black Lives Matter. All of a sudden it's socially, you know, it's stylish to dissent. Uh, 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 okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2020. In March 1968, when faced with with a student boycott at Bowie State College, a historically black uh, institution, Agnew again blamed outside agitators and refused to negotiate with the students. When a student committee came to Annapolis and demanded a meeting, Agnew closed the college and ordered more than 200 arrests. Wow. Following the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. on April 4th, 1968, there were there was widespread rioting and disorder across the United States. The trouble reached Baltimore on April 6th, and for the next three days and nights, the city burned. Agnew declared a state of emergency and called out the National Guard. When, ordered, when order was restored, there were six dead. More than 4,000 were under arrest. The fire department had responded to 1,200 fires, and there had been widespread looting. On April 11th, Agnew summoned more than 100 leaders to the state capitol where instead of the expected constructive dialogue he delivered a speech roundly castigating them for their failure for their failure to control more radical elements (gasps) and accused them of a cowardly retreat or even complicity oh this guy's disgusting one of the delegates the Reverend Sidney Daniels rebuked the governor and said quote talk to us like we are ladies and gentlemen he said before walking out many white suburbanites applauded Agnew's speech over 90% of the 9,000 responses by phone letter or telegram supported him to members of the black community. The April 11th meeting was a turning point. Having previously welcomed Agnew's stance on civil rights. They now felt betrayed. One uh, state. Of senator, course. Yeah, one I mean, s- they supported him. Yeah. That's why he's in office. One state Senator observing, uh, quote said, quote, he has sold us out. He thinks like George Wallace. He talks like George Wallace. And, okay. Ooh. So let's wow. get into, uh, this is, so this is all the stuff that's happening. You see who this kind of, who, who this guy is. Yes. Right? So, uh, Nixon has, is going to be the Republican nominee for the presidency in 1968 and at the convention, um, uh, which was in Miami, by the way, I believe my mother was protesting outside that. No. Convention. Yes. I, Who, I would have you? to ask her, but I, I'm 99% oh sure she was down there. Oh my God. Yeah. I love this. I know. Um, but he was discussing running mates, right? We're at the convention. We're going to make a, we're going to make an announcement. Um, and among them were Ronald Reagan, the conservative governor of California and the more liberal mayor of New York city, John Lindsay. Um, But Nixon felt that these high profile names could split the party and he wanted to look for a less divisive divisive figure. Uh, He did not indicate a preferred choice, but but Agnew's name was was not raised at the stage. So like or it was not raised at the stage of like discussing Agnew was intending to go to the convention with his Maryland delegation as a favorite son. You know, everybody loves him. In the Republican Party, please. uh, But he had been uncommitted to any of the candidates uh, who were running at the convention held from August fifth to the eighth. Agnew abandoned his favorite son status, placing Nixon's name in his nomination. Nixon narrowly secured the nomination on the first ballot. In the discussions that followed about a running mate, Nixon kept his kept his counsel, uh, while various parties party factions thought they could influence his choice. Strom Thurmond, the senator from South Carolina, told a party meeting, um. Told a party meeting that he t- held a veto on the vice presidency. Like he could make that, t- you know, you know Strom Thurmond is, mm-hmm. this motherfucker. W- w- I got to write his name down. Yes. We got to do him. Yes. It was evident that Nixon wanted a centrist, though there was little enthusiasm when he first proposed Agnew and other possibilities were discussed. On a- August 8th, after a final meeting of advisors and party leaders, Nixon declared that Agnew was his first choice and shortly afterwards Ooh. announced his decision to the press. Delegates formally nominated Agnew for the vice presidency later that day before adjourning. In his acceptance speech, Agnew told the convention he had, quote, a deep sense of in- the improbability of this moment, end quote.
0: Oh, this guy. I know. Oh, so humble. Um,
1: Agnew was yet was not yet a national figure, and a widespread reaction to the nomination was, Spiro who? <laughs> right. <laughs> in Atlanta, three pedestrians gave their reaction to the name when int- interviewed on television, and someone wrote, someone said, it sounds like some kind of a disease. <laughs> and someone said, is it a kind of egg? And then um, somebody else said, he's a Greek that owns a shipbuilding firm. Like, there was just all these fucking people yeah. making up shit when asked, like, who's, what is Spiro Agnew? I thought that was kind of funny. That is funny. Um, So.
0: Go back home and ask people in his home state what they yeah, think. Yeah. That's what they should do. Hello. That's what they should have done.
1: Yeah. So in 1968, this, the Nixon Agnew ticket faced two principal opponents. The Democrats at the convention at a convention marred by violent demonstrations. I don't know if you remember that. Like it was like the war. Yeah, everyone was, was freaking out. Um, they had violent demonstrations. They had nominated Vice President Hu- Hubert Humphrey and Maine Senator Edmund Muskie as their standard bearers. The segregationist former governor of Alabama, George Wallace, ran as a third-party candidate and was expected to do well in the Deep South. Nixon, mindful of these of the restrictions he had labored under as Eisenhower's running mate in 1952 and 56, was determined to give Agnew a much freer reign and to make it clear his running mate had his support. Mm. So Agnew could use uh, could also usefully play as an attack dog role as Nixon had in 1952. So initially, Agnew played the centrist, pointing to his civil rights record in Maryland.
0: Oh, my, how <laughs> dare he!
1: <laughs> how
0: yes, dare the 97 percent? How yeah. dare he? Yeah.
1: Oh, the blacks. I'm after all and all that dissent blacks. happening in his state. Yeah.
0: And he's what spinning. a
1: he's spinning. liar! At the as the campaign oh, developed. Oh my god. As the campaign developed, he quickly adopted a more belligerent approach with strong law and order rhetoric, a style Ugh. which alarmed the party's northern liberals but played well in the south. John Mitchell, Nixon's campaign manager, was impressed. Some other party leaders, less so. Senator Thurston Morton described Asnew, Agnew as a quote asshole (laughs) (laughs) got that right that
0: is hilarious
1: (laughs) throughout September Agnew was in the news (laughs) throughout September Agnew was in the news generally as a result of what one reporter called his quote offensive and sometimes dangerous banality end quote he used the derogatory term Polak to describe Polish Americans Mm. referred to a Japanese American reporter as quote the fat Jap (gasps) And appeared to dismiss poor socioeconomic conditions by stating that, quote, if you've seen one slum, you've seen them all, end quote. Oh, my God. A lot of articles I that mean, I read offence- talked offence- him, offence- described offence- him as Trump before Trump. That's wow. what a lot of articles talked about, which just he would just it say sounds like It sounds like it. It sounds like
0: it. He sounds like just a bloviated, yeah. gross.
1: Yeah. So he attacked Humphrey as soft on communism, um, which was, you know, was a big oh thing God. at the time, and Agnew was mocked by his Democratic opponent opponents. A Humphrey commercial displayed the message, quote, Agnew for vice president, end quote, against the soundtrack of prolonged hysterical laughing what? that denigrated uh, or dege- degenerated into a painful cough before a final message that said, quote, this would be funny if it weren't so serious, end quote. <sighs> Oh my God. What kind
0: of ad is I that? I don't know, but I, I love it. I love God, it. That we should find old yes. campaign uh, ads and I, put them I'll on I'll our find website it on or YouTube. I'll try to find it.
1: So Agnew's comments outraged many, but Nixon did not rein him in. Such right wing po- populism had a strong appeal in the southern states and was an effective counter to Wallace. In late October, you know, use it to your advantage. In late October, Agnew survived an expose in the New York Times that questioned his financial dealings in Maryland mm. with Nixon Nixon denouncing the paper for "quote the lowest kind of gutter politics." End quote. Come and, on. In the election on November fifth, the Republicans were victorious. They with a narrow popular vote, uh, five hundred thousand out of a total seven seventy three million votes cast. The electoral college result was more device, decisive: Nixon three hundred one, Humphrey one ninety one, and Wallace forty six. Mm-hmm. so i could talk about his ve- his, pres- his vice presidency and get into like what he, but it didn't uh, you yeah. know uh be- so let's just get into what took this guy down so in 1972 george beale the u.s attorney for the district of maryland opened an investigation of corruption in baltimore county involving public officials architects engineering firms and paving contractors oh. beale's target was the current political leadership in baltimore county They were, uh, or Baltimore. That's how people in Baltimore say it. Baltimore. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Baltimore. Baltimore. Um, There were rumors that Agnew might be involved, which Beale initially discounted. Agnew had not been a county executive since December 1966, so any wrongdoing potentially committed while he held that office could not be prosecuted because (gasps) the statute of limitations had expired, right? The statute of limitations. He's like, maybe, because, you know. There's a lot of county positions or city, or whatever you sit there, you're like, it's a ba-, you know, you know, new Orleans, like something's happening, but this guy's long out of that. He's yeah, the no, vice no, no. president of the United yeah. States. He hasn't been a County executive for years. Okay. So as part of the investigation, Lester Matt's engineering firm, who's one of Espiro Agnew's old buddies, um, was served with a subpoena for documents. And through his counsel, he sought immunity in exchange for cooperation in that investigation. Matt's had So immediately he's a fucking stool pigeon, right? I love these guys who, as soon as you catch them, they're like, I'll talk, I'll talk. (laughs) So that's what he did. Matt's had been kicking back to Agnew 5% (gasps) of the value of contracts received through his influence. First County contracts during his term in Towson and subsequently state contracts while Agnew was governor.
0: (gasps) How, how How long long is the statute? I don't understand. statute. I mean, I I understand what a statute of limitation is, but it's just interesting me to me. Like, we can't. We know that you committed this crime, right. but... but they,
1: so when they find this out, they're shocked because they thought maybe he took money as a county person. But, but not those, as a like, governor. But not as a governor. So investigative reporters and Democratic operatives had pursued rumors that Agnew had been corrupt during his years in, as a Maryland official, but they had not been able to sub- substantiate them. So now we're, you know... Now they're like,
0: how do we prove it? Yeah. So in
1: 1973, Agnew heard of the investigation and had Attorney General Richard Klyndeniston... <gasps> I'm sorry. He had him contact Beale. right and the vice president's personal attorney george white visited beale (gasps) who stated that agnew and beale's like listen he's not under investigation and the prosecutors would do their best to protect agnew's name like like we don't have like they really did at that point had no evidence that like that he had wow, to look things. at them like, look
0: at him trying to strong yeah, on this guy sending the fucking. Yeah.
1: oh my god could you that imagine? would be scary
0: like you open your door yes Uh like, oh uh-oh.
1: yeah and he's <laughs> like everybody and matt's or uh Beale's like everybody calm down but in the back of his head he must be like what the fuck is going on well something- then i would
0: he he's probably like i gotta dig d- deeper yes, because something really here. something's going yeah. on
1: so in june matt's lester matt's attorney disclosed to Beale that his client could show that agnew not only had been corrupt but that payments to him continued into his vice presidency <gasps> oh. wow how long do you owe somebody for a contract wow. by the way how long tina 20 wow. years give me a fucking break 10 wow. years the statute of limitations would not prevent agnew from being prosecuted for these later payments on july 3rd beale informed the new attorney general elliot richardson like this is happening now at the end of the month nixon through his chief of staff alexander haig was informed Agnew had already met with um, both Nixon and Haig to assert his innocence.
0: Oh, God.
1: On August 1st, Beal sent a letter to Agnew's attorney formally advising that the vice president was under investigation <gasps> for tax fraud and corruption. Wow that's Matz, uh, like that's incredible yeah matt's was prepared to testify that he had met with agnew at the white house and given him ten thousand dollars <gasps> in cash at the white house at the motherfucking just white was like, house Whoop. yeah wow yeah. and by the way was it in a suitcase agnew? 10 well 10 grand like that might be in a paper bag yeah, yeah.
0: or like I, I don't know someone with a lot of money can you show us yes what
1: <laughs> <that looks like>. <laughs> um <laughs> So another witness, Jer- Jerome B. Wolf, head of Maryland's Road Commission, had ex- extensive documentation that detailed, as Beale put it, quote, every corrupt payment. In, he participated in with then Governor Agnew end quote like these motherfuckers kept receipts bitch wow Richardson um, whom Agnew had ordered to take personal responsibility for the investigation met with Agnew and his attorneys on August 6th to outline the case but Agnew denied culpability saying the selection of Matz's firm had been routine and the money campaign con- and the money was were campaign contributions oh so then the story later on that day broke in the Wall Street Journal Agnew publicly pl- proclaimed his innocence and on August 8th held a press com- conference Conference at which he declared he called these stories, quote, damned lies, end quote. Uh, Nixon at a meeting on August 7th assured Agnew of his complete confidence, but Haig visited Agnew at his office and suggested that the charges could be sustained. Agnew might want to take action prior to his indictment. So, this I love. Uh, I love that he goes into the president, he's like, and the president's like, you have my support, everything's fine. And then he leaves and he goes, he tells his chief of staff, go tell that motherfucker that if this shit happens, <laughs> He needs to get the fuck out of office. He's not gonna this is not gonna happen to me. Like whatever. Although, meanwhile yeah so right so by meanwhile. this time by this time the watergate investigation that would lead to nixon's resignation was well advanced and for the next two months fresh revel- revelations in each scandal were almost daily hitting the newspaper wow about the president and the vice president wow. <laughs> girl who did you just vote wow. for who did you motherfucker wow. just elect oh my wow. god i fucking love it so under increase i would love to have lived during that yeah time, just Tina, to where the see whole time it happen you're screaming, you're screaming yeah, the whole like, time wow oh my god so, under increasing pressure to resign, Agnew took the position that a sitting vice president could not be indicted. Oh and here met, we go. He met with Speaker of the House Carl Albert on september twenty fifth asking for an investigation. He cited a president a precedent uh, an eighteen twenty six house investigation of Vice President John Calhoun, who was alleged to have taken improper payments while a cabinet member. Add him to the fucking list, by the way. I know. Albert Jeez. was second in line to the presidency under Agnew because he was Speaker of the House. He responded that it would be improper for the House to act in this matter before the courts. Like, it's already being yeah. investigated. We can't get into this. So Agnew filed a motion to block any indictment on the grounds <gasps> that he had been prejudiced um by improper leaks from the justice department and tried <gasps> to rally public opinion giving a speech before a friendly al- audience in los angeles asserting his innocence and attacking the prosecution does that not sound familiar oh, let's, go let's go after comey let's go after um uh what's this guy you know who i'm talking about um, robert muller muller yes muller let's go after muller let's go after comey let's 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 call their record and who they are into question right to get the heat off of me that's exactly who this guy this oh is, the justice department this is oh, wild yeah it's the same it's the same it's incredible story so nevertheless agnew entered into negotiations for a plea bargain on the condition that he would not serve jail time so now he's like oh, oh. the gig is up motherfucker he wrote in his memoirs that he had entered the plea bargain because he was worn out from the extended crisis oh come to protect on. his family wah, wah, and because he feared he could not get a fair trial He made his decision on October 5th and plea negotiations took place over the following days. On October 9th, Agnew visited Nixon at the white house and informed the president of his impending resignation on October 10th, 1973 Spiro Agnew, appeared before the federal court in Baltimore and pleaded no contest to one felony charge, tax evasion for for the year of 1967. Richardson agreed that there would be no further prosecution of Agnew and released a 40-page summary of evidence. Such
0: trash. Agnew
1: was fined $10,000 and placed on three years unsupervised uh, probation. Unsupervised. (laughs) At the same time... what's the point? I know. At the same time, Agnew submitted a formal letter of resignation to the Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger, and sent a letter to Nixon stating he was resigning in the best interest of the nation. Nixon responded with a letter concurring that the resignation was necessary to avoid a lengthy period of division and uncertainty and applauding Agnew... This guy. Excuse me. let, Let me finish this. And applauding Agnew for his patriotism and dedication to the welfare of the United States. Oh. Can we please get a letter that's like... Uh, yeah, you, you fucking suck. thief, motherfucker! Goodbye. Get the fuck out! And who the hell is Nixon to even Woo! be writing a letter, honey? <laughs> like you know, he's got <laughs> the, his shit's coming down too. Right? I know. So a he's little... probably
0: like, "Well, I'm just gonna make myself look really good. I'm gonna write this yeah. letter. Maybe people will. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they... <laughs> maybe this will save me. Yeah. If I forgive him, they'll forgive me. <laughs> right. They'll so... write something nice about me. If <laughs> I write Nixon. something nice about him. <laughs> Poor Nixon. Poor guy.
1: I mean, at least he got to meet Elvis. Don't yeah. <laughs> so after his resignation, Nixon reached out to the Republican leaders in the House for a replacement. I, I kind of love that this whole thing went down with Gerald Ford. So according to the New York Times, Nixon, uh, quote, sought advice from senior congressional leaders about a replacement. And the House Speaker, Carl Albert, recalled saying quote we gave Nixon no choice but Ford so Ford at the time Gerald Ford was the house minority leader for the Republicans and Ford agreed to the nomination telling his wife that the vice presidency would be quote a nice conclusion to my career and quote oh he no. had no idea what no. was about to happen poor to him, right? guy <laughs>
0: that's the saddest thing I've ever heard <laughs> kind
1: of crazy so Ford oh, will nomin- be so great yeah, meanwhile yeah, he's about to take it all baby yeah so Ford was nominated to take Agnew's position on October 12th, and for the first time, the vice presidential vacancy provision of the 25th Amendment had been implemented. The United States Senate voted 92-3 to to confirm Ford on November 27th. On December 3rd, 1973, the House confirmed Ford by a vote of 387-35. to After the confirmation vote in the House, Ford took the oath of office as vice president of the United States. And, of course... (laughs) When Nixon resigns on August ninth, nineteen seventy four, I mean, it's Ford months automatically later. assumes the presidency. <laughs> months later, and this became this made him the only person to become the nation's chief executive without having been previously voted into either the president, presidential or vice presidential office by the electoral college.
0: I'm. It's, it's incredible. Fucking nuts. He must have been like, what, what, what's yeah. happening? <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> or could you imagine you walk into that and you know that Watergate's happening? And like really having no idea, although don't you think they know that they're scant? They like, have to He have was some in the idea. Senate. They were doing investigations. He must have known something. Must have known something.
0: But even to take over yes. after that and try to restore things in the country, it, it's a huge undertaking.
1: No, they had to have a lot. He had a lot riding on that, yeah. on, on his shoulders. Yeah. So that's, that's stressful. Uh, that's Spiro
0: Agnew. My God. And you
1: know, I was looking at his picture and you'll have to look at it, but he looks a lot like LBJ. Like he really, they, they look very oh. much alike. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I fuck like it. I'm going to bring up his picture. to show yeah, you real quick. We can sh- cut this. Me. Doesn't he look just like oh, LBJ? He does. he does. I don't definitely. know if it's this picture. It's the hair. It's the I think eyes. think it's the way he's holding his head too. Yeah. His eyes, his nose. He looks like, he looks like LBJ, which made me immediately go, does he have BDE? Does, does Spiro Agnew have BDE? Mm. Very good mm. question. Haven't heard anything about it. We even. haven't heard
0: anything about it. But <laughs> you would have found something. Something would have come up in your yeah. research about women <laughs> affairs. Because well, with BDE, so, they, can't, they can't stay loyal. Yeah, no,
1: no, not for long. But you know what's funny is uh, there's going to be a memoir of the diary of Lady Bird Johnson coming out. And I don't know if you've seen this, but she had... All kinds of chapters in her journals and her diaries that she told her whoever was conserved the conservatory of all her of her documents and her letters and her pictures she's like i don't want this released until this many years later <gasps> because it was so um private and uh, really about her influence on him as wow. a president and when he was ill and like didn't want to go back to office didn't want to didn't want to run again like she convinced him to do that and like I, I was thinking I was reading all of this stuff about how much a, a huge part of his life and um part of the office that she was and in in, in nowhere do i see it saying well here's his shower for his dick and yes. he's fucking this secretary or making improper things yeah. about this like she was it boggles my mind how a dude runs around like that on a woman who then later on is like oh she's doing the all greatest. of this stuff for him what the fuck Ugh. yeah terrible anyway uh so that is a that's not that long of an episode it's normal we're at yeah. a normal length It was good.
0: Yeah, it was great. It was good. I I didn't know any about, because I I really just know Nixon. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like even in school, Mm -hmm. maybe, I mean, I knew that, like, obviously that's the vice president, but. Yeah. I mean, really, how many people know the vice presidents? You know, my kids can rattle off presidents. Right. But if I ask, my, my oldest maybe can do some of the vice presidents, but you
1: know no i just, just i kind of feel unless like, they
0: become president yeah or they did something they don't stand out
1: yeah but i also think that we put people on pedestals you, know, you think about how his family is immigrants that's amazing yeah. his story about his father and then serving in the and war, then the, the couple that's amazing yeah. you know being together um and then they're offered this these bribes or, or no they're asking for them like this yeah. is something that happens it's not like he did that on his own. I'm sure it was happening all over that county seat. Like, I'm sure that there were other yeah. people taking money. But like, at what point do you, you know, even when you take the vice presidency, yeah. I, I feel like you shouldn't let the Nixon campaign know, hey, this is something that it I just, did. This whole thing, just,
0: you know, being the public servant makes me feel like so many people lose their integrity. Yeah. They go in with this integrity, with yeah. with this idea, and then...
1: But maybe he didn't have it. Don't you think having integrity also has something to like? You believe in this. This is my yeah. set of of. This is my compass. Yeah. This is my guide. These are my morals. Yeah, and he's, he's kind he's, of tripping he's, over. He's he hanging out party. with all the
0: people. What, yeah. Oh, oh, it's
1: better. I can, I can win if I'm a Republican. Okay, I'll be a Republican. Like yeah. he doesn't really have a set.
0: He's just out for his own self interest. Yeah.
1: So maybe this was mm. set to happen anyway.
0: Mm, such a good story.
1: Oh well, I think that was wonderful, and yeah so check out movie battle this wednesday um also of course i wanted to say that a, a moment doesn't go by and we don't bring up our podcast bf bf F-f-f-f-f-s, um oh. on hell is full of dads and we yes. actually were like oh we'll come on and battle with um hell is full of dads because we like anywhere we yes. go we're promoting these fucking guys yes because they're the greatest yes um and so that would be a fun movie battle. it would but tina so barefoot because i know you're listening barefoot lobo um Nathan whatever I'm calling you barefoot 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 it's just barefoot uh, it's just barefoot (laughs) that should be not it's so white the name of the episode it's 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 just barefoot (laughs) um oh let's change it that would be fun um Tina wanted Tina and Hillary to battle Cody and barefoot yes and I was like I don't want you on my team after this display tonight (laughs) I don't want you and I said Cody and Hillary versus Tina and barefoot that would be yes
0: but barefoot you have to what whatever yeah, movie whatever it is, movie. but I, I, I don't know why I, I have this feeling that you don't know a lot of movies because you've talked. I have about Have a feeling that. he, that's
1: all he talks yes. about. So, uh, but
0: <laughs> I know that Barefoot would do his homework.
1: Yes, he'd come prepared. He would come, unlike prepared. unlike me last night, where I was like, but up, but up, but He knows still, great. Bye.
0: I am still like the Star that Wars. Was,
1: Oh my God! What the hell was I saying? Another fucking. I'm. I still am like. I at least I acknowledged it and I was like, "Hi, I'm up idiot." What was I thinking?
0: I do would... That's so funny that he was like, "Are you sure you know?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> because you know why, Tina. This is how my day was yesterday. My Saturday was go do a beach cleanup for two hours. Come back here. Oh, it was
0: a, it was a uh,
1: it was, it was I, a I mess. I went to the I, went to an, I okay. So randomly, I went to an art museum for a few hours. That oh, was that's like fun. That, listen to me, Anna. There's an Anna we exhibit at the Fort Lauderdale Art Museum right now. That is. Un- you want to talk about 90s fashion go Ooh. fucking look at that shit it's so amazing it's so amazing oh i need
0: to go uh, my day was busy too it was there i had something
1: yeah i ran back here to get on a meeting at 3 30 and like 10 minutes before that meeting started was filling that thing out and i think my brain was you all were just the like overdrive. oh i just want to yeah. yeah i was like oh i love star wars <laughs> isn't that what we're gonna talk about star yeah, wars right i
0: <laughs> oh, i God. feel like and i know we talked about it already but it's just a busy like last week was busy and then this week coming up is busy.
1: I'm tired too. I but the things that we take on like this. Yes. Oh, the podcast and then all of the volunteer stuff the that vo- we do. The
0: volunteer stuff is is, is a lot this it's- week
1: a lot this week know, but we're my husband... double booking we have a we have a, a little muck at six o'clock on wednesday and then um where you and i are going so they're like well we need to meet and you're like well i we could do after the pot so That's now it. after the I fucking know. recording tina's well, gonna go home I when know. you get on another fucking I zoom because i'm like what day we're,
0: we don't have it there's another no day. days and then we have to squeeze another one in this week well, i i Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, for
1: fuck's sake! God help me. Okay, Tina. well, well, either. Yeah, now you know our schedule. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening. Mm,
1: <laughs> yes. When are we going to get to March 26th? I need to have the day. I'm taking the day off. I'm taking the weekend off. I'm disappearing into Never Neverland. Oh, I'm envious. I'm never coming back. I'm so envious. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
0: If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck
1: Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Docherty.